and welcome to the Canada's History Podcast. This is a special educator series where we speak with the finalists for the 2018 Governor General's History Award for Excellence in Teaching. Created in 1996, the award recognizes best practices in teaching Canadian history. It's an opportunity to highlight the important work that teachers and students are doing to research, interpret, and share the stories of the past. My name is Brooke Campbell, and today we're speaking with Lisa Howell, a grades 5 and 6 teacher at Pierre Elliott Trudeau Elementary School in Gatineau, Quebec. Lisa's students explored both historical and current issues surrounding the funding of First Nations healthcare. After conducting research, listening to stories from elders, and speaking with experts, they used their knowledge to write and film a public service announcement about Jordan's Principle that will air on national television and radio, as well as on various media sites. Thanks for speaking with us today, Lisa, and congratulations on being a finalist for this year's Governor General's History Award for Excellence in Teaching. Thank you so much for having me. Now, before you tell us more about your project, why don't you introduce yourself and give us more insight into your school and to the students that you teach? Of course. So my name is Lisa Howell, and I've been teaching at my school for about 12 years now. Um, I'm a settler and an activist, and I live on unceded Algonquin territory in Ottawa, but I teach just across the river in Gatineau. Um, and my school community is quite diverse. We have about 20% of our student population um, coming from um, Cree communities in Quebec and also from Kitagon-Zibi, which is just about 130 kilometers north of Ottawa. Um, my students, as you said, are in grade 5 and 6, but they range in age from um, about 10 to 13. And they're all very curious. They're all open-minded. They're kind. Um, some are settlers with ancestors um, from Europe. Um, other students are Chinese, Cambodian. This year we had a Palestinian boy. And then, as I said, a lot are, are Cree and um, Anishinaabe. And each one of them actually has a learning difference. So everyone in my class has an individual education plan. And um, and so I think that makes us quite unique. Yes, definitely. And what inspired you to develop this project? Well, when I began teaching 12 years ago, I really didn't know much about uh, Indigenous people in Canada because I was raised going to school and learning that typical narrative that most of us learn about how the settlers came and, and we got along. And um, the First Nations helped us and we helped them. And so when I began teaching social studies and history, it seemed like something was off to me. In Quebec, we teach um, history in the 1500s, the Algonquin and the Iroquois, and it felt as though we were uh, really keeping history in the past and not uh, thinking of it, you know, what happened between the 1500s and now. And I was teaching a lot of Indigenous students, and, and I didn't know them. So I needed to get to know them, and how I did that was they actually took over teaching uh, history and social studies, and they would teach us about their communities and their languages and um, moose hunting and um, uh, goose feather plucking and bush camps. 
And they also would, would teach me about uh, residential schools, which was really only the second time that I had heard of it in my life. So I think that my project grew into a framework um, really out of really needing to know who I was teaching and making it more meaningful. Yeah, you can definitely tell that comes through. So why don't you tell us a little bit more then about the project itself and the different activities that you and your students really took part in? So um, as I said, my students and I have been learning about residential schools and the 60s scoop and day schools and other aspects of um, colonization for a long time and working with Dr. Cindy Blackstock, who's with the uh, First Nations Child and Family Caring Society. And so um, Cindy Blackstock and the Assembly of First Nations actually took the government of Canada to court about 10 years ago because of discrimination uh, for First Nations children living on and off reserve um, in terms of health care, education, and child welfare. So um, the tribunal in 2016 uh, ruled in, in, uh, in favor of the children and found Canada um, was racially discriminating against First Nations children. And so part of, uh, out of that tribunal came, um, uh, Canada was ordered to educate people about Jordan's principle. And Jordan's uh, principle is a legal rule in Canada which states that all, all children, all First Nations children must get access to health care. And um, it was inspired by a little boy, a tragic story about a little boy named Jordan River Anderson who was born in um, Manitoba. He was from Norway House Cree Nation, but he was born in Winnipeg General Hospital and he had complex medical needs. Um, so his family had to stay with him in the hospital, but about two, when he was about two years old, everyone was so excited because Jordan would get to go home. And... Um, all the services back in his home community were all ready to go. And that's when the trouble started. The governments didn't want to pay. So the federal government wanted the province of Manitoba to pay because Jordan was born in a provincial hospital. Um, and the province of Manitoba said to the federal government, no, he's a, he's a First Nations child. It's your federal responsibility to pay for his home care. And so they argued for three years, and Jordan was trapped in the hospital um, all that time and, and died when he was five without ever going home. Uh, so this, this law in his name, this rule in his name, makes sure that that will never happen to another child again. Um, in the sense that the government who was first contacted for the service uh, will pay for it, and then the federal and the provincial or territorial governments can argue all they want in the background, but the children get the service first. Um, so the, the public service announcement was to educate people about Jordan and about this um, legal rule in Canada. Wow, that's an incredible project, and it's so amazing that your students were able to uh, really promote Jordan's principle and educate people on it. Well, I just wanted to add that, I mean, this this project was really uh, incredible because my students and I, when we were asked, and we know Cindy Blackstock, she comes and works with us a lot, but, you know, I really wanted them to, to, to say, yes, we want to do this. So we had meetings about it, and... Um, 
And then not everyone wants to speak on film. So we had different committees. So we had a script writing committee and we had um, the, the students who actually wanted to be part of the narration. And then we were working with a, a Métis, a fa- fantastic Métis filmmaker, um, and he wanted to involve the students as much as possible. So we had like filmmaker crew, and then we had an art committee um, because kids were also designing posters about Jordan's principle. So I think the piece of the project is that it was really student student-driven. Yeah, that definitely comes through. Now, you have a decolonizing approach to teach Canadian history. Can you explain to me what you mean by that and how you take that approach? So for me, there's really two parts. Um, So decolonizing pedagogies uh, are an area which I teach Canadian history as a collective endeavor that that we do to learn about the past and then take action uh, in the future. And I do this really by guiding my students and recognizing our roles and responsibilities in learning history and thinking critically about it and, and thinking about the ethical and historical perspectives and then, and then taking steps to make amend. Um, so it's really a living history. And we do this work, decolonizing work, by partnering with Indigenous communities and organizations um, to try and achieve a Canada that we'll all be proud of. So that's one piece. But to do that, um, because decolonizing is really stirring up everything you thought you knew and learning something new about your history as a Canadian. So you have to create a really safe, um, I call it a community of belonging, um, where uh, everyone is um, valued um, everyone's accountable for their learning and their contributions to the learning community. And so one way I do that is that every single morning we have a circle um, and we acknowledge the land that we're on and we reconnect with each other and we set learning goals. Um, and so I don't think you can do one without the other. I think decolonizing pedagogies and relational pedagogies um, they work together to be able to create these uh, learning environments for students. And how did the creation of the public service announcement motivate your students to engage in other histories and empower them to take action towards reconciliation? Well, as I mentioned, I teach a blend of Indigenous and non-Indigenous Indigenous students, and, and all the students that I teach are struggling in, in some way, either academically, emotionally, uh, socially, and these are typically uh, students who don't succeed in other classrooms um, and who have histories of difficulties in schools. So these kids are not the ones who are typically making public service announcements. They're often the kids in detention or the kids asleep at the back of the class or the kids who have just given up and don't come to school anymore. So um, I think reconciliation empowers all students because it's it gets them involved. It's, it's real. It's like you're you're learning about history and then you're doing something about it. But for these these marginalized kids, it takes them from the sidelines um, to the stages. Like they speak on Parliament Hill to crowds of a thousand people, and so they can see the purpose in learning about history and using their speaking skills and their writing and their reading and their thinking to actually do something. Um, 
and to really find out who they are and what it means to be living here in Canada at this moment in history and that they have the power to make changes. That's incredible. And so what advice would you give to other teachers then who want to teach for reconciliation? I think that they need to reach out to others who are already doing reconciliation work. There's a real growing network across Canada um, and absolutely to work with elders and Indigenous communities. Um, you should also, they should also read the calls to action of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission because that's really the foundation of changing the way we do education in Canada and um, and really committing to those calls of action about making sure that students are learning residential school history and learning Indigenous perspectives and um, learning about Indigenous contributions and culture and ways of knowledge. knowledge. Um, and I think you really need to follow your heart and not be afraid to introduce topics and issues about equity and fairness and social justice in history class and in fact in all classes because children and youth are experts in caring and compassion. They really are. And this work changes them and engages them in ways that I, I really haven't seen any other kind of work do. So, and then, and then as I was also saying, you really um, need to try and create that classroom environment that nurtures their natural curiosity and nurtures their compassion. Um, by using circles and, and, and creating a pedagogy of belonging that fosters um, empathy and understanding and critical thinking. Well, this is an amazing project, and it sounds like you have an amazing class. Um, thank you so much for speaking to us about this project and giving us more insight into what you guys did. Once again, congratulations on being named a finalist for the 2018 Governor General's History Award for Excellence in Teaching. Thank you. It's such an honor.